All right. Give it five seconds of silence. Ready? Hello, everyone. I'm your host, MT Coin, also known as Jerry, and I'm here today with the jelliest of men. Gentlemen, why don't you say hi? Hello. All right, and a resounding hello from Jellyman. So, Jellyman, uh, tell me, what all do you know about Warhammer? In this specific case, Warhammer 40k. Little to nothing. All right. Or more or less, nothing at all. All right. So, deciding to rectify this problem of my best friend not knowing about probably one of the greatest hobbies out there, I decided to, you know, get into talking to him about the lore. See if I can rope him in with the basics of it. And, you know, basically for fun, we decided, hey, why not? Let's make a podcast about this and let people experience our probably inaccurate information. I will not claim in any stretch of the imagination to know everything about the lore, and I will probably get things wrong. But hopefully I know just enough to keep it accurate. Sound good, gentlemen? Sounds great. And then, any disclaimer, if we say anything inaccurate, all that, don't hate. <laughs> We're very yeah. inaccurate with our stuff sometimes. Yeah. Please don't come at us screaming, you know, that's not right, because honestly, we're doing this for fun. But, so gentlemen, I'm going to give you the option of three topics today. You ready to hear them? I'm ready. Alright, so we can either start by covering the Emperor. We won't be covering the Unification Wars, because I feel like that needs an entire video on its own. But we'll start with the Emperor and a brief history of his 20 sons. That's option one. We can start with the Dark Eldar. Or we can start with the Orcs. Any specific uh, preference on that? Um, I'd say let's start at the very beginning. So wouldn't that be the Emperor, correct? Yes, the Emperor of Mankind and his 20 sons. Yes, let's start there. All right. So, the Emperor, also known by the fandom as Big E, Emps, and, you know, various other kind of nicknames, is the, well, Emperor of Mankind. It's in his name. Uh, he's also known as the God, em the God Emperor, or the Father of Mankind. Um, and, which is funny, because he hates religion. Uh, when he was alive, his like big edict is he created the imperial truth, which claimed all religions to be false. So uh -huh. Christianity, Buddhism, anything and everything that had you re praying to a god was bad. So he not only did not believe it, he thought they were just pure evil? Um... He, I'm not sure if evil would be the right word. He believed it stunted humanity's growth, like, exponentially. Ah. I see. So, continue? Yeah. So, it is incredibly funny that, you know... He has a, basically, yeah, he, a he, worshipping 
that he yeah. he is now considered a god in 40k. That is the true definition of irony right there. Yeah. Murphy pulling some bullshit basically. Listen guys, I hate religion. I hate this. <laughs> Them, we shall turn you into a god. Did you well, not understand what well, I just said? <laughs> well, it's Okay, so during their crusade, I uh, again, we'll cover the Horus Heresy and the Unification Wars and all that stuff in another episode. But uh, for now, let me just say this. During the crusade, there were some people who kind of, you know, prayed to the emperor, but it was not nearly as big as it is now. Now it is literally the religion. There's different forms of the worship. Like, for example, uh, some people... On some, on one planet, you know, the emperor might be prayed to as the sun, which brings life to the world. You know, right? Yes. On another, he might be a great warrior spirit uh, who protects humanity against all the evils. Another, he might be, you know, a divine healer who creates miracles and heals people. Uh, you know, the worship comes and goes, but it is always very much so. You know, he has to be worshipped. You have to worship him as a god. Uh, what happened to the couple people that didn't worship him as a god? Uh, well, if in modern 40k, if you don't pray to the emperor, obviously if you're part of the Imperium Man, there are exceptions. If you do not pray to the emperor, uh, the Inquisition shows up. And who are and they? And the Inquisition's motto is... Innocence proves nothing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. We would Ooh. definitely go over the Inquisition at another time because they're pretty cool. I actually really like the Inquisition. But for now, let's get back to the topic of the Emperor. So the Emperor of Mankind, also now known as the God Emperor, uh, there are a bunch of theories of his birth. Uh, the main one being... Uh, that shamans, which as far as I can understand from the Lord, they were uh, the earliest psychers. Uh, basically, they could use the wart to manipulate stuff, magic, all that kind of crap, right? Right. Or magic in that sense, because magic doesn't exactly exist in 40k. There, there's these things, there's these people called psychers, and they appear in pretty much every race, uh, except for the Tau, I believe. Like, uh, Tyranids have Psychers, Eldar have Psychers, Orcs have Psychers, uh, the Imperium has Psychers, Space Marines have Psychers that are called Librarians, right? And so, the Emperor was believed to have been formed when thousands of Psychers sacrificed themselves to create him. They combined their souls into one absurdly powerful being known as the Emperor of Mankind. And so from there, he kind of just, I don't know, chilled on Earth, to be honest with you. Just vibing. Yeah, because, uh, you know, occasionally he, he would come out to protect somebody he deemed important enough or, you know, uh, uh, lead handy for a short period of time before mysteriously vanishing. He would appear randomly. And at some point, I can't quite remember when, I'm not even sure if it's honestly stated, he starts getting his memories back from when he was, you know, the shamans. He started recollecting the memories, started remembering everything that they had done, 
you know, their will, their drive, their reasons for wanting to protect, <clears throat> sorry, their reasons for wanting to protect humanity, things like that, right? Right. And so he went through and did all these things, uh, discovered this great, vast empire, and eventually he comes to the point where he is like, I have to lead humanity. The only way for humanity to survive is if I take the reins and take over, right? Yes. So the Emperor of Mankind creates first his Thunder Warriors. And oh, Thunder Warriors, uh, do you know what an Adeptus Astarte is? Uh, no clue. Do you know what a Space Marine is? Um, I th think. Okay. Well, Space Marines are basically genetically engineered humans. They are like eight feet tall, have, I think it's two hearts, three lungs, like just insane. Um, they can move, there has been instances where they can move faster than the human eye can track. They uh, have a perfect memory. They are strong enough to like flip tanks. They are absurdly strong clad in some of the best armors and weapons in the entire, you know, Imperium, right? So just a big metal finger to everything, kind of. Like, just... That, that was how they were created. Before them, though, came the Thunder Warriors. And if you were to compare the two, uh, think of it this way. A single Astartes, without armor, without weapons, could probably take close to 50 men by himself in a fight and come out victorious. If, you know, they were all, none of them had armor, none of them had weapon, he could more than likely kill 50 men barehanded. Right? Right. And so, if you were to compare Thunder Warrior to that, take 12 Astartes and their full battle gear you know, they're bolters, they're chain swords, they have, you know, armor that can stop. Uh, there has been instances where it has stopped, like, RPGs. They have taken RPGs to the chest and walked it off, right? So take them fully armored and armed and put a Thunder Warrior into the mix. And the Thunder Warrior, you know, if he's also armed and armored, has a pretty good chance of making it out alive and butchering all of them. Yeah, if you were to compare the two, Thunder Warriors were so much stronger. The issue was, though, they were incredibly aggressive. They would form into these, like, they would start eventually going insane with anger, attacking anything and everything. And so when the Emperor created them, you know, he had these immensely powerful beings that when it came to a point, he couldn't really control. And so, he also created the Legionis Custodes, I believe is how it was uh, pronounced originally, which are the Custodian Guards, which are, there's always 10,000, there can never be any more than 10,000, which sounds like a lot, right? Until yeah. you get into a fight with a couple billion guardsmen. <laughs> So the Legionis Custodes were considered to be the perfect warriors. They are 
incredibly powerful, insanely skilled. Um, you know, they but not only are they, you know, perfect warriors, they are also poets, artists, literaturists, strategists. They are so insanely good at everything. They are pretty much the physical personification of perfect. And then you take the emperor, which is even more perfect than them. But so he created the custodies basically because he realized, oh, yeah, the, um, you know, the Thunder Warriors are going to go insane. I need somebody to, you know, uh, deal with the Thunder Warriors when they uh, turn. Yeah. So he created the custodies. Custodies are, you know, incredibly loyal, incredibly strong. And so when he created Thunder Warriors, he used them to conquer Terra, which is Earth. Uh, from, you know, basically, like, techno-barbarians. Uh, think, like, Mad Max, kind of-esque. You know, half-robotic warriors uh, going around. There's no water, all that kind of crap, butchering each other. That's essentially what happened. And so, the, as I said, I'll go into Unification Wars in another video because it's a lot deeper than how I've described That's a very brief history of it. But So he goes through and he fights. And he, well, kind of, you know, curb stomps him, really. He goes through and he butchers everybody. And then he started creating, uh, well, his Primarchs. Uh, the Primarchs, there were originally 20, or well, 21, I guess you could say. Okay. So, 21 technically, if you count Alpharius and uh, Omegon, because they are the twin Primarchs, but I'll, you know, I'll get into them when I talk about them. But so, basically, uh, he creates these 20 Primarchs who are supposed to lead his 20 legions of Adeptus Astartes, the Space Marines. And he uses the uh, Custodian Guard and the Space Marine to kill, like, probably 98% of the uh, the Thunder Warriors. Some of them managed to escape because out of sheer, you know, brute strength and force. They managed to push their way through and escape. Because there was a lot of Thunder Warriors. There has even right. been, like, kind of hints, you know, that the Thunder Warrior, that a few Thunder Warriors might still be alive to this day. Uh, what are those? Um, what? What were those hints? Like, uh, I think in one book, it was it was said that an entire squad of Adeptus Astartes had been wiped out by a mysterious figure that wasn't a, uh, that wasn't related to Astartes, but looked similar, wearing power armor of ancient Terran design. And that could have been a space or a chaos space marine, you know, but it was it was basically hinted at that yeah, there are still you know thunder warriors. They are they basically yeah. went into hiding. You know, the very 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 few that remain went into hiding. So they're there, but they know that they're hiding, and they're kind of just there. Yeah. Well, the thing is, they're kind of still loyal to the emperor. Even after he butchered all of them. But they're kind of not. Like, I think there were a few that fell to chaos 
at some point. Again, I'm not 100% sure on this, but from my understanding of the books I've read and what, and you know, secondhand knowledge from other people, there are f- most of them that are alive are loyal in the sense that they don't go against the Imperium. But, you know, if somebody shows up to kill them, they're probably going to murder them first. Right. Yeah. Because there are, there are a few, like, Astartes figures, you know, who might be able to take a Thunder Warrior. Uh, you know, like, Chapter Masters of Insane Skills. But generally, you would need a Custodes to go kill a Thunder Warrior if one ever escaped. Or if one was ever found. Or a squad of Astartes. So to kill, like, one of them, they need, like, a squad or a good have yeah. a good number of them just to kill one of them? Yeah, they're, like, they're honestly insane. Let's see. And so, you know, you go through and you have the Adeptus uh, Astartes, which are, I can't even remember exact numbers, but uh, to this day... Um, jumping forward a little bit just to explain this now uh, originally there were 20 legions and those eventually broke up into chapters uh, save for 9 of them which you know I'll get into reason later why they didn't break up but the 9 of the 20 legions broke into chapters eventually and some of the primarchs of those legions were not happy to do that and then others kind of accepted it as their only means of survival and stuff like that. But again, we'll get into that a little bit. But so, the Emperor creates his Primarchs. And the Primarchs kind of, you know, they are literally supposed to be perfect beings. Uh, supposed, definitely being the key word there. They each have their own particular set of skills. And he kind of made them to where they counterbalanced and counteracted one of each other, right? For example, uh, Lionel Johnson, who is considered to be the first Primarch because he is a Primarch of the First Legion, even though he wasn't the first one found. Uh, he would, it was said that he, if he walked into a losing battlefield, walked, like, say he just arrived on planet by himself and saw a fight that was absolutely they were going to lose, he could look at the battlefield and at a single glance find over a thousand ways to win the battle. So just kind of like a, no matter what, uh, sorry, no matter what the situation is, he can just go in, take a glance, and go, this is this is a way to win, this is a way to win, this is a way to win, all the possibilities to win. He was considered to be the perfect general. Also, every single Primarch was terrified of him. So not only... Like, everyone was... All of them were scared shitless. A lot of them fought him, actually. But all of them, at their basic core, were terrified of Lionel Johnson. So not only... And he was... Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, go. Yeah, no, go ahead. Uh, so not only he was smart enough to find thousands upon thousands away from turning into a losing battle into a winning battle, he also pretty much scared the shit out of every single general or anyone higher up there. Yeah. But a lot of people were scared of him. The second Primarch, I will be going by legions here and not on the order that they were found, if that's okay with you. Yeah. All right. So the second Primarch 
not the second one found, but just the second Primark, is actually unknown. So they still haven't discovered him? No. Well, okay, so they had statues of two of the Primarchs. And there is a, another figure called Malkador the Sigilite. I will go into detail about him in a little bit where he was trying to take down the statues and Horus and a few two other primarchs I can't remember who they were though got kind of pissy about that and basically Malkador forced Horus to his knees through sheer psychic power alone and but it's very much so like hinted at that two of the primarchs are dead which I believe is the second and the 11th primarch the second Primark and the 11th? Yeah. But I could be wrong about that. But so basically, um, what they are is, they are, uh, it is hinted that they are dead. I'm sorry for all the uhs and pauses and all that crap. Sometimes my mind doesn't work properly. But so it's hinted that they are dead because there's a picture of Malkador's Sigilite with two skulls resting on a throne of his. One has two carved into its skull. The other has 11. So it's hinted that, that you know, he killed them, basically. For yeah. some reason or another, he murdered them. No one knows why. But so the second Primarch is no one knows where, why, or who he is, basically. And then the third Primarch is Fulgrim. Fulgrim, oh, sorry, uh, Lionel Johnson leads the Dark Angels. I'll come back to this chapter after I finish Fulgrim. But Fulgrim is pretty boy, basically. He was considered extremely beautiful. He had a perfect chiseled body, you know. He was so unfathomably beautiful that, uh, you know. Everyone wanted said, to sleep with him or something like that? Well... More like, because he was so beautiful, uh, you know, he was, I think he was used as a diplomat, kind of, sometime. Uh, the, and he led what he called the Emperor's Children. I see. Okay. So, like, his early life, uh, oh, sorry. God, I'm all scattlebrained today. The twenty or the twenty primarchs were spread out throughout the galaxy by the four chaos gods because the four chaos gods were terrified of the emperor of mankind. I will go into four chaos gods in another video. I know I've been saying that a lot, but uh, the four chaos gods spread them out amongst you know a bunch of different planets because they were terrified of the emperor having all this power. So they spread them out, and Fulgrim. Uh, was you know he when he was teleported away from, uh, Terra. He was dropped into a mining world known as Chemos. It's C H E M O M O S. I'm not entirely sure how that goes, but Chemos is what I'm going to call it. And it was like this really bleak, dark planet, unforgiving. Uh. And it was worn by a small star, you know, and surrounded by thick dust clouds. So just like a planet overall that you don't want to be on, you don't want to be near it, and you want to stay like five planets away. 
Yeah, kind of, yeah. It is definitely not the worst planet on this list. Not the worst, but not the best, but kind of on the bad side. That you yeah, just... like, it was livable. It was just, it was just, you know, forever shout. It was forever just in this kind of like twilight. Just very dark. I see. Uh, Kemos had been settled by humanity during the Dark Age of Chaos, you know, and they had used it as a mining world. Uh, you know, because it had just a crap ton of resources. But the problem was that the planet was starting to run out. The resources of the planet was starting to run out, and they weren't producing enough, uh, you know, food or supplies to purchase food for their own needs. And then eventually, it kind of, they just kind of broke into like these fortress factories. Uh, you know, and they kind of produced all the resources necessary needed for Kemos, and the entirety, the entirety of the people that lived there had to work every hour of the local day to maintain the mines. Okay. Uh, you know, there was no, there was no recreation, there was no art, there was no having fun because everything had to be sacrificed so that they could survive. Children had to work. Adults had to work, old people had to work, and if you got screwed over in the factory, if you got hurt, oh well, you're dead, basically. It's a work or die kind of thing. Yeah. And it was, uh, and eventually it became completely dependent on, you know, other planets to supply it for food. Ah. But it was also surrounded by warp swords that made it really difficult for traders to reach a planet. And so basically that was just like a lot of traders, you know, even though they might be able to make a profit, it wasn't enough of a profit for them to risk their lives by heading there. So they just kind of a lot of them ignored it. So the planet was slowly dying of starvation, basically. Hmm. And, you know, they were trying, they tried to attempt to, like, you know, impose food rations and come up with other solutions, you know, for food. Uh, you know, they created a kind of, like, military police force, uh, the caretakers. But, and they discovered, they were the ones who discovered the Primarch's, like, capsule. Right. And so, you know, they went through all of this stuff to dig him out, all this effort, and eventually he comes to lead the planet. I will, each Primarch will be getting their own video. I'm going into a little bit more detail on Fulgrim because I honestly don't know too much about him, so I'm just trying to cover the basics. Like, Lionel Johnson is relatively easy, but uh, Fulgrim is a bit harder. And so Fulgrim, you know, he comes to lead the planet, and when the Emperor shows up, he pledges his loyalty to the Emperor. So just automatically gave up and was like, here you go? As far as I'm aware, I don't think Fulgrim even, like, I don't think Fulgrim even tried to, like, fight against the Emperor or do anything. I think he just straight up, uh, like, yeah, he, he just straight up kind of accepted the Emperor, uh, didn't do anything. Like, Lionel Johnson, as far as I'm aware, I believe he went through a challenge. Like, I think he fought. Uh, hold on. Let me. Okay. Like, Lionel Johnson, it doesn't 
Uh, I just reread through the wiki article real quick to touch up. It didn't look like he really tried any like challenge either. But so, let's move on to the third Primark. So this doesn't, or sorry, the fourth Primark, uh, fourth on the list. So this doesn't go too too long. Which would be Perturabo. And again, this is an order in which they were found. This is order in which they showed up, right? All right. So when Petter Rabo was found, he he was like a naked kind of younger boy. And Petter Rabo is kind of an enigma, really. Like mm-hmm. he acts like he's this petulant child. And, you know, he... He took probably one of my favorite legions, which are the Iron Warriors, uh, which were just siege experts. They were amazing at sieges, all that crap. Uh, And they were considered to be the unbreakable rod of iron. And honestly, if Petarabo had never showed up, they probably still would be. But he started to rust away at them. His first order... And keep in mind, the Iron Warriors, no matter, they were sent into the most hellish of battlefields. Like, every battle they went saw them suffering massive casualties doing all this crappy stuff. And so, but they almost always came out victorious. Actually, I think they did always come out victorious. I could be wrong, though. But when Portorabo showed up to his legion, the first thing his first order he didn't say hello he wasn't like it's so good to meet you my sons his very first order was i'm gonna i want nine of you i'm going to have you take 10 members for every 10 of you i want nine of you to beat one of them to death he ordered decimation which means one-tenth of his entire legion, he had the other nine, 90% kill. His first? And that was his first order. Yeah, keep in mind, the Primarchs are considered to be the fathers of the legion. In fact, they called their legion their sons. So basically, that was like saying, say you had ten children, Klein, right? I pointed at one and said, you, the other nine, beat this one up. No, not just beat him up. Beat him to death. Beat him to death. So you had like one out of every ten you could have got chosen, and nine people would have beaten you to death. Yeah. Was there like a reason behind it, or was it just for ha-ha funny? He didn't think they died well enough. He so did. it was like as a punishment. <laughs> yeah, basically what, what happened was he didn't think that they were exceptional enough to be his sons. Despite them almost never losing a battle, despite them fighting and winning in the most hellish environments, he didn't think that they were exceptional enough to be his sons. So he ordered a full 10% of them to be killed. His first order... In fact, some of the other Primarchs actually tried to say, no, you cannot command this legion. Are you insane? That's your first order? But the Emperor was basically said, it is his legion. He can do what he wants with them. If he wants to order a full 
10% of his legion killed, more power to him. 10% of the legion will be killed. Yeah. Oh, God. I would like to believe all he did was get on that planet, looked up, say, you didn't die well enough. One out of ten of y'all shall die. <laughs> yeah. But so, uh, basically, but Pertorabo is also Enigma because he is shown to be very petulant. He, for example, he has a deep rivalry with Rogel Dorn, which is actually one of my favorite Primarchs, and I'll get into him in a little bit. Uh, because Rogel Dorn was selected to build the Imperial Palace instead of him. Instead of Pertorabo, he was selected to build the Imperial Palace, the place where the Emperor resided. And Pedro was pissed about this, like furiously angry. That was actually one of the big reasons he was, uh, you know, he eventually turned traitor, spoiler, uh, you know, because that happened. By the way, also uh, Fulgrim turned traitor. I should have mentioned that, but whatever. And so he, you know, but when the Emperor arrived, you know, on his planet, because... Uh, Pedorabo also conquered his planet, just like Lionel Johnson, just like Fulgrim. Pedorabo just kind of was like, yeah, you know, I completely accept you. You are my father. And a really big part about his history is he makes this complaint that fathers don't use their sons. And sons don't use their fathers. And his adoptive father actually kind of argued with him about that. He was like, uh, not the adoptive father of the emperor, his actual adoptive father from the planet. And he kind of argued back. He was like, but sons do use their fathers. They use them for food. They use them for shelter and protection. And fathers use their sons for many things. You know? But so... He basically just thought that no son should ever have to be forced to do what his father tells him to do. And he thought when the Emperor came to his planet, he would take him away to live a life of, you know, endless indulgence, where he never had to do anything he didn't want to do, where he could be free to create and build, you know, works of art. Because that's all he ever wanted to do was to build. But I'm guessing the moment it happened, it didn't go out as planned as he thought, and it kind of backfired on him. Yeah, well, the thing is, so Pedorabo supposedly hates war. But when he was brought to the palace uh, of his adoptive father, they gave him an anvil and iron, and they were like, we want you to make something for us. They did not tell him any specifics, right? They did not tell him, make a shield. They didn't tell him, make a, you know, a plate. They just told him to make something, anything he wanted. And despite Gave him yeah. the tools and then just was like, build. Yeah. Build us something. Yeah, basically. And despite Pedorabo's, you know, insistence of, you know, I hate war, the very first thing he made was a sword. Now, was that out of, like, subconsciousness, or was it out of, they they were trying to see what he's willing to do, or, like, what's his plan? Well, it was kind of a test. Like, it was, um... When they asked him to build, they had just heard, you know, this miracle child could make, you know, he was exceptionally strong. He was gifted. He was all of this stuff, you know. And, and so, you know, they asked him just to make anything, and he chose to make his sword instead. 
and so the big part of that is despite his hatred for ward the very first thing he ever made you know or really truly got to make was a sword a weapon to kill somebody and that's kind of the point Pedro contradicts himself all the time because he's you know oh i just wanted to be a builder i never wanted to go to war but then you know he makes a sword on his very yeah whenever they were just like build something fathers should never have to use or punish their sons but the very first thing he did was decimation I, punish and hurt their sons yeah uh i'll go let's go ahead and move on to the next prime arc because uh Petarabo, he'll get his own video eventually i kind of feel bad i feel like i'm going into more of these guys than i did the lionel johnson but Lionel Don- Johnson definitely deserves his own video because he is fucking awesome. It's fine. If we get the, uh, if we enjoy this and keep going, we can always make more and every one of them can have their own videos and, and what they did, where they are now. Yeah. To all that. So moving on to Primark number five, Jagatai Khan. Ooh, the great Khan. So. Uh, he is also known as the Khan or the Warhawk, and he is Primarch of the Fifth Legion, the the White Scars. And Jagatai Khan is was uh, dropped, dropped, dropped on the planet Mundus Planus. Uh, basically, he is a absolute speed freak. His legion is a hit and run, uh, very heavily mobilized. You know. They are not meant to stay there and fight, right? They are meant to right. hit you, retreat. And run? Yeah, hit you, retreat, go back, and hit you. Now, they are space marines, so if they are forced into, like, you know, a one-on-one engagement where they're not allowed to use their hit-and-run tactics, they're probably still going to smash you. But they're not but, as good as, say, like, the salamanders or anything like that, you know? So, like, in a one-on-one fight, they have a good chance of winning, but they rather prefer that they're hit and run tactic yeah like if they were forced to oh use the salamanders again because they're you know or actually you know let's go with the uh space wolves i'll talk about that later but the space wolves you know they're a very melee focused army if they were forced to get into melee with them they would absolutely lose but if they were allowed to hit and run the space wolves uh they might win kind of thing but again i'll get into why that's a very much so a might but jagatai you know he was when he was growing up he was basically found by a chieftain of a tribe, and he was incredibly gifted from the start. You know, anything he needed to learn how to do, he would ask them to teach him once, and only once. When he fought, he was, you know, incredibly furious, and he was a perfect warrior on the planet to them. And so, eventually, you know, the very leader of the planet who owns a massive part of the planet. Like, I think almost all of it, save for, like, a quarter of it, sends his son out, you know, into the that quarter of the planet to start conquering it, right? Right. Jagatai finds him, butchers his entire army, and I think cuts his head off and sends it back to the uh, dad. <laughs> As a, like, a look what I just did, or as a warning? 
Oh, as a message of, I'm coming for you next. Oh, like you fucked around, and guess what you about to find out? Yeah, basically. <laughs> but so, Jagatai leads to the White Scars, and he's actually, there isn't that much lore on Jagatai Khan or his Legion. They are, they're not unpopular, but they are not popular. They're very, they're kind of, they're often seen as, like, you know, the uninteresting middleman of a group. Right. Which does suck, because they do have some pretty good lore, and they, they're pretty cool. But we'll go into their, you know, we'll go into them. And, and, and another yeah. time. So moving on to Primark number six, which is Lehman Russ. Oh my god, Lehman Russ. <laughs> I... I feel like you just like leaned back and Gylan was like, get your popcorn ready. <laughs> oh, Lehman. I almost want to skip him and just say any lore for his own video, but I will give a brief overview. Lehman is a bad ass. Like, that's how we shall leave him for this one. And then <laughs> later on, we shall go into why is he a badass and then proceed. And that's not if it needs a two-parter. If it needs a two-parter, that'll be even worse. No, no. I'll I'll cover him a little bit. So he is Primarch of the Space Wolves, and they are probably one of my favorite legions. Despite, um, well, give me like ten seconds to find. Okay, you ready? Here are some. Here are their successor chapters: Wolf Spear, Wolf Brothers, Blood Wolves. Uh, Skyar, Skyar's Dark Wolves. You know, so they, so they kind of sound like they're just there to, I'm a kick your ass, and then this is what's gonna happen. Not a promise. It's a what's gonna happen. Yeah, they are. Uh, they're like companies are. You know, uh, their their chapter master is called the Great Wolf. The, uh, everything is wolves. They have these, uh, some of them transform into like these savage beasts called Wolfin. Uh, I do think it is kind of funny that there is apparently a lore tidbit where it's like the Fenrisian, uh, Fenris, which is uh, the planet Lehman Russ grows, on, grows up on. And it's very much so inspired by Norse mythology, right? Right. So the planet uh, he grows up on has like Thousands of words for the name wolf. And so all of these things, you know, they're like, oh, uh, you know. Sorry, I'm lost in thought for a second. But so they have all these, uh, you know, different words for the word wolf. But the, you know, low gothic and high gothic doesn't really understand Fenrisian language that much. So it all just translates to wolf to them so you have like wolf lords wolf guard uh you know so everything everything involves wolf yeah yeah uh like they have these massive fenrisian wolves called like thunder wolves uh you know very much so you you will see a lot of like shit on Lehman russ because i think hold on let me see if I can find the uh, Space Wolves, uh, like, forces. 
Okay, here we go. You ready? Yeah. You have the great wolf, the wolf lord, the wolf priest, the uh, wolf guard, uh, wolfen, uh, blood claw, another wolf, wolf scouts, Frenrisian wolf, the long thing. <laughs> so most of their shit is so- wolf. So everything involves a wolf, like a fang. Well, they have, like, rune priests, you know. They have, like, iron priests. Uh, dreadnoughts are obviously, you know, gray slayers, stuff like that. But for the most right. cl- for the most part, they most of their things are, like, a wolf. And, like, their, wo- their lords, you have, like, the red wolf, the black wolf, the wolf lord, the old wolf, the gray wolf. Everything <laughs> is around wolf. Please tell me, is there one that's called like just something but fur, like fur or something? There might be. I'm I'm honestly not too clear. If there is, that I, I would think that's personally a little funny. <laughs> yeah, but they are they're they're awesome. They really are. But so, let's go ahead and move on to the next Primark. The next Primark would be, let me see, we're on seven, right? Yes, we are on seven, which would be Rogel Dorn. Oh, yes, Rogel Dorn. <laughs> this guy, the reason why I love him so very much is that he is straight laced to the point. He does not get analogies. He does not get sarcasm. He does not understand jokes. So he's just a plain and simple guy that if you try to joke around with him, he's like, I have no clue what you mean. Like what a, do you mean? <laughs> what was an example? Text-to-speech is like, uh, I need, uh, there's a great example from if the emperor had a text-to-speech device where he's like, I need Rogel to build me a wall to block all this stupid shit. And Rogel responds with, I do not believe shit can be idiotic, father, but I will still build you this wall. And I want to point this out. Sorry, sorry for cutting you off, Jerry. Uh, what was it? Damper had a Texas speech device is a YouTube video or series. I don't know which one it is. Oh, yeah. I would say that- watch it. But I want to be the one to explain shit to you. But that crap is amazing, really. Uh, but for any viewer, watch it. Oh yeah, if any, is any, view, any viewer, if you're trying to get into 40k, absolutely watch if the Emperor had a text speech device. It is a perfect mix of like comedy and you know like facts and lore. It has a great story. The animation is awesome. If you want to see the Emperor have a Yu-Gi-Oh card duel. Uh, go and watch <laughs> it, and also one of the gods, Chaos, <laughs> has a Yu-Gi-Oh card duel. I <laughs> oh, that's great. But anyway, let's get back into the lore. Uh, the seventh one. Yeah, the Imperial Fists, and the Imperial Fists are also pretty awesome. The Imperial Fists are like their entire doctrine is fortification. While the Iron Warriors is siege, these guys build fortresses. So they're kind of like a counteract to their counteract. Like, oh, yeah. we're going to build a siege, and they're just kind of looking over like, they do know we're just going to fortify. Iron Warriors and Imperial Fists hate each other. Hate. I, 
I got a I got a weird feeling. I know why. Siege <laughs> no, like, Yeah, there's also a great video by uh, you know, Emperor had a sex defeat device where it's just uh, an iron warrior is smacking a sandcastle with a shovel, screaming siege, 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 and an imperial fist is like rebuilding the sandcastle while yelling fortify. <laughs> and the iron warrior goes, look over there, siege! <laughs> <laughs> it's super, super freaking good. But so, the imperial fist is like, uh, you know, they're very much so uh, to the point, they build massive fortifications, walls, great labyrinth-like mazes, right? Uh, where you will go down one area only to be fine with a kill zone filled with turrets and marines that would pop out of nowhere, gun you down, and then retreat into the very walls themselves without you figuring out where the hell they came from. <laughs> I, I, That's how to scare the shit out of someone there. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, you probably won't live through it, but... <laughs> oh, yeah, no, there's no way you'll live through it, but I would just like to believe there's someone who's casually not even part of the fight, just walking through, having no clue what's happening, and then they just go, well, yeah. don't mind if uh, we come and scare you. <laughs> yeah. And despite all this, uh, Space Marines are super good in melee combat, and despite them, the Imperial Fist being a very range-focused army, like, uh, they get a bunch of, like, bonuses to hit, they have super high accuracy, they have actually, I think, one of the highest accuracies in the game from ranged. You know, uh, they're, they still are pretty badass in melee, because they're Space Marines, and Space Marines are, you know, Space Marines, so. They're just there <laughs> yeah like they can kick your ass in melee but they'll probably shoot you before you can get to them <laughs> so rogaldorn uh you know he has uh he when i get into gilliman i'll talk a bit more about this but there is this thing called the codex uh astartes i believe is what it's called the Codex Astartes basically broke down every legion into a chapter of 1,000 uh, Space Marines, you know? And they were pretty... Right. And Rogo Dorn was not happy about that. At all. He hated it. And um, eventually, once uh, Petarabo turns traitor, he builds this great mighty fortification. And... Uh, right basically sends a message to Rogadorn saying, you can't break my fortifications. And I'm guessing they were like, watch us. Yeah, so after the Codex is sent out, Rogadorn takes his entire legion and goes attacks Portorabo at the Battle for the Iron Cage, basically. The Iron Cage is what it's called. And the reason why it's called that is because uh, Rogodorn, his quote was, I will drag Petarabo back to Terra in an iron cage. Ah. So that's why it's called the iron cage. And so, Rogodorn goes in there and, well, it is horrible. There are losses on both sides. He, his men are getting butchered. Uh, Petarabo's men are getting butchered. Petarabo doesn't give a shit about his men. Uh, he doesn't care if they die, so long as he can prove his point to Rogodorn. Right. And he kind of does. And so, Rogodorn, you know, is attacking, and he is losing thousands of men. He is literally so committed to this battle that he is willing to kill himself and his entire legion 
just to spite Reboot Gilliman and Pedarabo, basically. Uh. <laughs> Mostly Reboot Gilliman. <laughs> and guess who shows up to uh, save Rogel Dorn from death and his legion from death? Oh, no. It's Reboot Gilliman with his <laughs> legion, the Ultramarines. And obviously that pisses off, um, you know, Rogodorn even more. It is actually claimed that, uh, you know, and eventually more crap passes. And there's, it's said that Rogodorn is now dead. That the only thing that's left of him is his hand in which the chapter master of his chapter uh, each have the right to carve their name into the very flesh and bone. And it's like their so it's, great symbol. So he is confirmed dead, or is it just they don't know yet? Well, it's very much so hinted that he's dead. Uh, basically, uh, he was you know dragged away by, like I think it was a bunch of cultists, and the only thing when his legion found it was his hand. That they carve into. Yeah, that they carve into. The only thing that was left of him was his hand. So as far as everyone is aware, he is dead, but he's probably not dead. Eh. Yeah. So, but... let's go ahead and move on to the 8th. Oh my god, let's send in the 8th. You ready for this shit? Fucking go. Conrad Kurz. <laughs> Better You're known joking, right? as the Night Haunter. I am uh, not joking. I'm, I am intrigued. The, Why did they call him the Night Haunter? I want you to think of the scariest person you know, Klein. Someone who hates you. Someone who wants you dead. Someone who is willing to torture you for years. Someone who absolutely despises you. Who does everything in their power to kill you. Who, who will tear you apart and sew you back together. Just to tear me apart again? Yeah. I, I'm guessing and that's you, what he is. And you might have the te- one one thousandth of the terror that is Conrad Kurz. Entire oh, planets would surrender willingly by the mere mention that Conrad Kurz might sur- show up to their planet. Wow. Yeah, this guy is... Super scary, and his legion, the Night Lords, was also a terror unit. But the thing is, Conrad Kurz is actually kind of sad, really. A sad tale. He lands on the planet of Nostromo, which is a night world uh, as well, so you know, it doesn't have... It's very dark, all that crap, but it's filled to the brim with adamantium, you know, the hardest metal in the universe, right? Yeah. And so when... Conrad Kurz lands. He doesn't like hit the surface, you know. He goes so far into the planet, he almost hits the planet's core. What? Yeah, as an infant. As an infant? Yeah, he hits the planet so hard in his capsule that he goes almost to the planet's core. And instead of them investigating, you know, what the hell that just was, they filled in the hole (laughs) that he left. So instead of, like, just going, hey, 
what the hell was that? They're like, fuck that. Let's refill it. Yeah, they filled <laughs> in the hole and they ignored it ever happened. <laughs> which I would, don't know if <laughs> which would prove to be a very stupid idea for them. <laughs> because I can't remember exactly how long it was later, but Conrad Kurz, as an infant still, dug his way out of the ground. And this is as him as an infant, correct? Yeah. Dug his way through literal thousands of miles of dirt. I, I, I don't know what to say to that. Yeah. And so when he comes out, he is hungry. He is angry, and he has no idea what the fuck is happening. <laughs> I don't know what's happening, but I am hungry, and y'all pissed me off. I'm going to kick y'all's ass. Yeah, so he eats people. He went in, and he ate some people. Ooh. And uh, one thing I should explain. Uh, every Astarte, as far as I'm aware, there might be a few exceptions, but every Astartes and Primark, if they... Say if they ate your brain, they would get some of your memories. What do you mean? Wait, like, what? Okay, for example, uh, say in a space marine, say you were like the enemy commander, right? Right. You're the enemy commander of the force, and I am a space marine. And you might know, and we can't find, you know, your battalion of tanks, but you know where it is. If I killed you and I ate your brain, I might be able to figure out where the uh, your tanks are through your memory. I see. So when Conrad Kurz ate the people, he got their memory and basically discovered, holy shit, I am on a very shitty planet. The only I... thing memories he got was fear, hate, anger, and greed, basically. And he decided in that moment that all humans are evil. And evil needed to be punished. And so began the Night Lord's terror reign. And right. that would definitely be going in his own video. Honestly, if we do another podcast, he will be probably be the first Primark I cover, even if he is not, you know, the first Primark. Simply because I love Conrad Kurz. But so, right. you know, he is the scariest motherfucker you will ever meet. He is willing to torture you. He is willing to kill you. There is... But the thing is about him is he still believes in good. And not only that, he can see the future. Now, like, 100% like, correct future? Or like, um, kind of 50-50? Okay, well, he can see... The possibilities of future. There's an example of this that uh, I'll, I'll cover more in its own, own video, but I'll just give it here. Uh, eventually, he tracks down a boy, and as he's looking at the boy, he sees two uh, visions of the future. One where he reaches out his hand, the boy joins him in his crusade of terror, and, you know, uh, basically becomes his right-hand man, right? Right. And the so other, was... where when he reaches out the, his hand, the kid stabs him in the stomach. And gets away. It doesn't kill Conrad because that's not even going to really phase him. But the kid gets away and goes on to, you know, brag about how I managed to get away from the Night Haunter. So 
So which path did the kid choose? Oh, Conrad didn't let him choose. He just murdered the kid. Ah, fair <laughs> yeah. enough. He decided, screw that. It's not worth taking the risk. And he just killed the kid. So he could see... He can see. Possibilities of future, but he gets to choose... Yeah. This or that. Yeah. But as I said, I'll go more into his own visions when in his own, you know, podcast. But he is probably one of my favorite, uh, you know, he's probably one of my favorite primaries simply because he's kind of he's a big contradiction to himself. Like he uh, he believes in justice and he believes that no matter the crime, it's always punishable by death. Say you uh, stole somebody's penny. He would spend weeks torturing you to death. Over a penny. Yes, because you committed a crime. I mean, I gave. He's swinging in the right ballpark for me personally, but no, he swung and he missed. But, okay. I get, well, no one ever taught him about laws and punishment. He had to come up with everything his own, and he came up with the fact that all crimes are punishable by death. But by death. Oh, okay. That makes so i could see that okay yeah. yeah if someone had like taught him you know right from wrong and some crimes are less severe that... than others yeah he probably would have he was known as like the judge jury and executioner you know and right he, well and he is really cool but um you know there is as i said i'll go into more detail uh at a later date let's go ahead and move on to prime mark number nine which is, that's Conrad Kurz. Where are you, Primark number nine? I want to make sure it's all right for the podcast, obviously. Yeah. There we go, Sanguinius. I must admit, I don't know too much about Sanguinius, his lore. I do know about a Blood Angels, but basically, Sanguinius was perfect. And I could like as in combat perfect or picture perfect. Picture perfect, combat perfect, personality perfect, honor perfect. Everything so the, about him was perfect. The so only, the golden boy. Yeah. Kinda. Yeah, no, he is literally called the great angel, the brightest one. Or the golden child. I see. <laughs> yeah. He was perfect. Also, he's dead. I'll go more into detail in his own video. But the only flaw Sanguinius had was that he had two giant white angel wings. That was his Mr. only flaw. He had two giant white angel wings. Yeah. And so, you know, he leads the blood angels, which are space vampires, basically. I see. Yeah. Uh, basically, their lore is when Sanguinius died, they felt their connection to the Primarch snap, right? Right. And they lost their shit to the point that it still affects them 10,000 years later. So something that has snapped, it took very much of an effect even with the 10,000 years difference, it's still taking effect, and it's possibly that it's still taking, it's still gonna take effect in like 10,000 more years. Yep, and it's called the Black Rage and the Red Thirst. 
the red thirst is well you know thirst for blood right the black rage is where they literally go insane and just they have they have these things which are really cool called death companies that their entire point is they take all the people who are affected by the black rage point them in the direction of the enemies and just let them loose and they just wantonly charge them Ah. They charge, they butcher their way, and then they die. If they don't manage to die on the battlefield, their brothers kill them. The other uh, blood angels will kill them. There's actually only so it's, one... Sorry, go ahead. So it's basically one of those things where if you don't get the thirst for blood, you go insane. And you get pointed, hey, go to war, go to fight those guys. It's it's a suicide mission no matter what the outcome comes to because it's right you're gonna die trying to fight those people or you turn around and your own brothers whatever you want brothers correct yeah they are battle brothers battle brothers will just basically walk up behind you and kill you if you didn't get killed yeah i should point out um there are no female space marines they're all male i see yeah so um you know basically uh, there's actually only one member of the Death Company who managed to, despite being completely in the Black Rage, uh, when one of his brothers went to kill him, I think he said, my time is not yet come. And, you know, him actually being able to respond to them and just not straight attack them and kill them, they were like, okay, let's see where this goes. And so they just <laughs> kind of like cryo-freeze him until the next battle, and then he charges the enemy, butchers his way, and lives because, you know, he's freaking insanely powerful. And then they cryo-freeze him again. Take him to the next battle. So he's basically like that one person that they are just like, since you said that your time's not come, we're just going to keep sending you into battle, into battle, into battle. Yeah. Until his unedible time comes. Yeah. Uh, Sanguinius and the Blood Angels, they have some pretty good lore. I'm just not overly familiar with them. I don't dislike Sanguinius, but he's just not my favorite Primarch, to be honest with you, so I never really got too into him. But, you know, he'll get his own lore video as well, and I'll do my best to cover him. Right. But now, moving on to the 10th. Ferris Manus of the Iron Hands. Ooh, boy. Ooh. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> Both say ooh. I'm like, oh no. Also known, oh, that's he's also known as the Gorgon. Uh, reasons? Uh, I think it was because there was a creature he killed. I think there was a creature called the Gorgon. I, as I said, I'll review his lore when we make our video on him. But he's super cool. He actually has literal living metal hands. Ah, that's I where see. his legion gets the iron hands from. And his legion, uh, the other space marines, kind of still see, you know, the value in flesh, right? Because uh, the Imperium is very much so. Humanity is, you know, the greatest species in existence. You know, we are the greatest creatures. The galaxy is our birthright. Right. And everyone uh, pretty much goes with that. They believe flesh is kind of like sacred to the point where actually a a pretty massive punishment is be being turned into like a half cyborg or majority cyborg where you lose your consciousness and you just are built to perform menial tasks. The exception to this being the Mechanicus, which are their own faction. Faction They believe 
they if they could they would turn themselves completely into robots but they can't because the imperium would like butcher them basically right so one believes like being becoming full cyborg is a relief and then the other one believes being full cyborg is basically torture and they want death yeah and it's pretty it's pretty neat the uh mechanicus is is uh loyal and allies to the imperium just by the way they are part of the imperium and they're uh set up in mars but uh going back to the iron hands the iron hands you know they are very close to the mechanicus like uh they willingly will let the mechanicus remove limbs from them you know to upgrade them with mechanics which is very unique basically any other legion the only time you get a replacement limb is if you lost one but the iron hands are like yeah yeah slap some slap some metal on me let's do this you know they're very cool um ferris manis uh is actually killed by fulgrim he's beheaded ah yeah which kind of sucks because ferris manis and fulgrim were like best friends actually so then what happened between those friendships well, one turned to chaos. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> yeah, one turned to chaos. The other one remained loyal. Ah. Uh, moving on to Primark number 11. That's the other one that, you know, it's unknown. No one knows anything about him. So the unknown, what there to really know about the unknown besides? Uh, nothing. <laughs> he might be dead. That's so all the lore. <laughs> That's it. So the <laughs> so the lore for that unknown one is that it could be dead, and that's it. Like, is is there like any like he went into so many battles, any of that? No, they're just like, uh, we don't know who he is, what he has done. All we know is he could be dead. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's all we know. <laughs> is this like the only one out of how many again? Uh, right now we're on twelve. So after him, we'll have uh, like seven more to go uh, so him out of like 20 people is the only one that hasn't been discovered hasn't oh well, been i'm guessing remember i told you number uh primark number two and primark number 11 are the ones that are assumed dead because there's uh there's skulls with the numbers two and 11 on you know malkador sigilite's uh, throne oh right so yeah so, he's, the, he's the other unknown of the two so is there like anything that kind of gives off hint of what they did, or are they just been known of? They don't know if they're alive or dead. Uh, they we just—it's very much so hinted at that they're dead. It's hinted that Malkador killed them. All right. For what reason so, we don't know, but it's—you know—it's very much so hinted at. But moving on to number twelve, we have Angron of the World Eaters. Oh, Angron. <laughs> Angron is probably the biggest failure of the Primarchs. Like the one that everyone looks at and be like, don't, don't be like that guy. Just don't be that guy. Kind of, yeah. Which is sad because this Legion is cool as hell. Like, his Legion is awesome. But Angron himself, I like Angron. I just don't like him. If that makes sense. Like, I, I can't... I like 
his aesthetic. I like how he looks. I like his lore. I just cannot bring myself to like him. And Angron... Angron is the only Primarch of all 20 Primarchs, or of all 21, technically, who right. did not conquer his planet. So he's the only one that has failed to conquer a planet. Yeah, in fact, his when planet. the Emperor found him, he was on the verge of death. So he's just been known to not, to not win, or just... His... Like... His legion are called the World Eaters, uh, or they're also called like the Bloodhounds of the Emperor and stuff like that. And he hated the Emperor uh, pretty much from the get-go, because the Emperor, when he arrived on planet, uh, Angron was about to launch rebellion against the planet, and but he was it was pretty obvious in the lore that he was going to fail and die, but he was willing to fail and die with his you know what he considered his brothers and sisters and trying to make the planet better, right? Yeah, doing whatever he can to make the planet better. Yeah, and he was very much so like, you know, he was their trump card. If he wasn't there, they were going to lose, no matter what. Mm. He he was the only thing that gave him even a small chance of victory. And just as they're about to go into battle, the Emperor teleports him away from the planet and doesn't let him go back. Basically, like, hey, I captured you, and I'm not letting you come back. Yeah, he's like, now it's he basically doomed all of Angron's friends, the people he considered family, to death. Save Angron. Would not let him go back. The reason why he's so pissed off was if he had just done that, but, like, sent, you know, his, like, sent his own army in to conquer the planet and help out the rebels and crap like that, Angron probably would have been fine with him. Like he probably he probably would have been pissed that you know he took him away from the fight, but he would have accepted it. But the emperor doomed the planet. He basically said, "Yeah, no, we're not helping them. Your friends, your family, all the people you've ever loved and cared about. Yeah, no, they're just gonna die. Now come with me. You're gonna go fight battles for me without uh you know without consent, uh without um you know without I'm not gonna ask for your opinion on it. You're just gonna come fight for me." As a slave kind of thing. Yeah. And the thing... I yeah, I could understand why he was pissed. I could understand why he was just so pissed. You'll actually, like, see a lot of the Primarchs turning could have been prevented if the Emperor was just a better father. Like, the Emperor... If he actually, like, used his common sense and going, hey, let me help you. Yeah. Instead of just, I'm gonna send you to war. Yeah. But we could lose. Does it look like I care? Yeah, the Emperor... Did not give a shit. But the thing was, the Emperor had actually abandoned his humanity. Like, he abandoned his feelings of love, uh, compassion, things like that. He completely, he literally purged those emotions from his body and from his soul. Why? So So then he could lead the galaxy. So that he wouldn't make, you know, bad decisions based on morality instead of, you know... For example, uh, you could sacrifice one of your sons and you know conquer a planet that finally allows you to rule the galaxy in perfect harmony. But you love your son, so you can't send him to his death, and therefore you lose the battle. 
Ah, but he I see he still has the emotions. Like he still has them, but he basically at that point he had shut them down. So he didn't really so, give a shit about his about his sons. So the feelings were there. He still kind of loved him. It's just he pushed him down so much where it was just like, yeah, no, it's it's not going to affect what I say. Yeah. Eventually, he really does purge those emotions out of his body. Like, completely loses them in order to kill somebody. And I'll get into that later. But so, Angron failed to conquer his planet. He hated his legion, absolutely despised them, ordered decimation on them as well. What he would do was he would say, I want you to conquer this planet in 32 hours. What? What? What what if he doesn't complete it in that 32 hours, for say? Decimation. He has a full tenth of them killed. Oh. and he So it's it. rather, it's going to be, you're going to do it, or you're going to die from my hands. It's not no other choice. Yeah, he did this over and over and over again. It, okay. <laughs> yeah. And every time, they would fail. Uh, the first time, I think it was actually the and first then, time, instead of them completing in 32 hours, they completed in, like, 35, I think? Like, they got really, really close. But there was, like, one last fortification that they couldn't break through, and that's what took so long. And so we ordered decimation. So the next time they were forced to conquer a planet in 32 hours, it took longer, because there were less of them. And so, we and then ordered, it was decimation. And then it took longer, and then it was decimation to the point that he actually left his legion. Like he refused to work with them anymore. Wow. Yeah. He. The thing is, Angron actually surgically removed any part of his brain that did not make him angry. The what? Only thing he, the only emotion he ever feels anymore is anger. He had every other like part of his brain that might allow him to feel, say, love, compassion, kindness, sadness, anything else besides rage and anger he had removed. And then he had, but this part, uh, that one, that part was his choice. The thing that wasn't his choice is he had the butcher's nails, which is basically a metal spike implanted into his brain that anytime he wasn't murdering or killing, he felt constant pain. What? Yeah, that was put into his head because he was a gladiator in the in the arena. Oh. So they put it into his head. And so he put that butcher's nails into every one of his son's heads. So his entire legion now has a metal spike in their brain that anytime they're not killing, they get... They're in pain. Yeah. I see. Yeah. But so that's enough about him. Let's go ahead and move on to we are on number 13, which would be Reboot Gilliman. No, I'm just joking. I actually don't have that much against Reboot Gilliman or the Ultramarines. A lot of people a lot of people re- dislike Reboot Gilliman and his Ultramarines. And that is mostly due to the Matt Ward apocalypse. I'll go into that in a minute. So But basically, uh, the Ultramarines are considered like the Gary Sue of the universe, right? No one beats Mm -hmm. the Ultramarines. They're always victorious. They're always winning. Nothing bad ever happens to them. They're always Mr. Perfect, right? 
Right. And that's why everyone just like, or not everyone, they have their fans. And a lot of the writing is pretty good, you know. But uh, most people dislike the Ultramarines. To me, because, you know, it's hard to like a faction that always wins when nothing bad ever happens to them, basically. Rebellion, he, how to describe him? Uh, he grew up on a planet and he con- he conquered 500 worlds. The 500 worlds of Ultramar. Uh, he grew up on the planet of McCrag. And uh, he was pretty cool. You know, like, uh, he was a perfect leader. He was, he built a utopia, basically. One that was militarily secure, you know, financially secure, uh, people were happy and healthy and everything was good. You know? And so when the Emperor showed up, he was like, dude, you did awesome. Come join us and you can conquer more worlds and make more worlds happy, you know? Yeah. And so Reboot did. And he took his Ultramarines. The Ultramarines are basically considered like the jack-of-all-trades faction, right? Uh, for mm-hmm. example, you know, you have Angron. His faction is pretty much dedicated melee. You have Lehman Russ. His faction is also, you know, pretty big melee. You have, Every one of them has, like, a certain trait that they're just great at. And then the... Ultramarines are... Marines. Yeah. Imperial Fish, you know, they're... Uh, there's actually a small tidbit. It's like, you're never... Uh, when it's like a sergeant explaining to scouts, you know, you're never... You will never outshoot an, an Imperial Fist. You will never match the ferocity of the space wolves. You will never, you will never be as strong as a salamander. Like he's explaining them, but then he goes, "But we can train you to outshoot a space wolf. We can outtrain you to fight an imperial fist. We can outtrain you, you know, because everyone else is so dedicated to a single doctrine. We can train you on how to crush it." Yeah. What their weaknesses, how to beat it. Yeah. And so the Ultramarines just kind of, you know, went around. They did all their stuff. And I don't know. They had. Let me just explain some of the bullshittery. Uh, there was also a bunch of things that had to, got, had to get retconned, with mate, which made it kind of hard to like him. For example, you had a guy named Kato Sicarius, who is a really big meme of the Ultraman, Ultramarines community, right? Mm-hmm. Who is considered to be like stupidly good? Uh, Texas Beach makes fun of him by making his voice really high pitched and like him always referring to himself as Kato Sicarius. And he goes, But I, Kato Sicarius, would rather have lunged back and struck forward like this because I, Kato Sicarius, am obviously the better duelsman. Very like <laughs> foppish, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, he explains all this crap. Uh, but Kato Sicarius uh, killed a, a Katan, apparently, which is a literal space vampire god. Eats, oh. Yeah, eats stars. But then it was discovered that he had actually only fought and destroyed a shard of a Katan. Much, much, much less powerful. And then, um, you know, their chapter master, Marnius Kalgar, he picks up a Necron pylon, which is literal tons upon tons of metal, and uses it as a club 
which shouldn't be possible. He made it possible. Yeah. So they're just kind of, they're made fun of because they're, you know, they do all this stuff that should be impossible, but they do it easily. But that's enough about them. Let's go ahead and move on to number 14, which is, where are you? Mortarian or Mortarian. I'm not sure exactly. I don't know if it's Mortarian or Mortarian, but he leads the Death Guard. Which are Nergo's boys. Uh, and he grew up on the planet of Barbarus. Barbarus mm. was a planet filled to the brim with toxic fog. You know, and so uh, the people there basically had to live. The tops of the mountains were filled with such a dense fog. That it would literally rust metal. So, off, I'm going off topic a little bit, but the one that had metal hands, if he, for say, went to that planet, does that mean his hands would have been rusty? I don't think so, because the living metal is considered to be like, uh, I don't know. I don't really know how to describe living metal. That is a good question, though. Uh, as far as I'm aware, it would not. Okay. But you're thinking of Ferris Manus of the Iron Hands. The Iron Hands. Uh, so continue with the plant that was covered in the toxic fog that would make any metal rust. Yeah. Correct? Well, it would. It, I was just using that as the example, but yeah. And so the people had to live in these right, deep valleys, basically, where the fog wasn't nearly as thick. And not only that, the um, the leaders who lived on the very tops of the mountains, you know, where all the thick fog was, which basically made them impenetrable fortresses, were necromancers, basically. So they were absolute tyrants. And the big, big bad of, you know, of the planet discovers Mortarian hmm. in the fog, in, the, in, like, this really thick, poisonous fog, and discovers... Nothing wrong with the baby. He finds him as a baby. And he finds nothing wrong with him. Which is strange. Normally the baby should be melting. Basically. But no, the baby's fine. So, he takes Mortarian up to the highest points of the tower. And kind of like keeps him. You know, he like raises. And I do use raise very, very loosely. He basically kept him as a slave since birth. Ah. Yeah. To the point that uh, eventually Mortarian escapes and goes lower into the into the plains. And, you know, oh, he didn't take it. By the way, he, uh, his father didn't take him to the tallest mountain. He took him to another mountain. So uh, I'll, it's just to explain a little bit later on. But, um, you know. So he meets all the people and he saves the people, you know, and he goes and starts a rebellion. And he starts heading up to and eventually, you know, the emperor arrives on planet just as Mortarian is about to siege his father's castle, who lives on the tallest mountain with the most fog, incredibly deadly. And the emperor is like, I've come to take you with me. Mortarian says, no, I will not go with you. Right. Yeah. 
And so the emperor gives him a challenge. He says, okay, if you can go up that mountain and kill your father, I will let you have this planet. I will let you have this planet and I will never bother you again. I will leave and I will never come back. Did he successfully do it or did he fail? Well, as he started making his way up the mountain, his armor started to corrode around him. Mortarian goes up the mountain, his armor starts corroding, starts breaking down, rusting, and he is literally screaming for his father to come down and fight him. He is screaming, he is begging, or not begging, you know, because he is basically calling him a coward, he's doing all these things, and the entire time, he can see his father looking at him through the tallest spire. But he can't get to him. He gets to the very gates of the castle itself before he collapses and can't move anymore from the poison. And his father finally comes out to, uh, or his adopted father, I guess I should say, finally comes out to kill him. And just as, this, as he's about to, you know, finish Mortarian, to kill Mortarian, the, the Emperor shows up and murders him. He, not Mortarian, he murders the stepfather. Yeah. Which pisses Mortarian off. Infuriates him. Because Mortarian wanted that kill. But I see. Mortarian lost the bet. So he agreed to go with the Emperor. And he became leader of the Death Guard. The Death Guard being... Uh, they were considered to be the unstoppable marching force. They would walk. They were considered to be extremely tough. Extremely, you know, tanky, slow kind of units. Which makes sense because they eventually go to Nurgle, who is like, you know, the grandfather of Plague. Uh, he his like special rule is like one of them is like disgustingly resilient, which makes you take minus one damage to e from everything. So Space Marines, for example, have two HP in combat, right? Right. So normally, if someone rolled, uh, if someone managed to do two damage to him, uh, one unit of the Space Marines would die. But with the Death Guard, if someone does two damage to them, they only take one damage for the fell, so they still live. It basically makes you have to kill them with you have to kill them with three, you know, wounds instead of two wounds, and then a lot of them also get regeneration, which allows them to heal wounds. So you know, makes it even harder. But so yeah. they're you know extremely resilient, and eventually Mortarian joins Chaos. You know, I'll as I said, I'll go more into that kind of crap uh, when they get their own video. But now let's go on to Magnus the Red. Primarch of the 15th Legion, the Thousand Sons. Poor, pitiful Magnus the Red. Like, Why I, are you saying it like that? Because I, I genuinely feel bad for Magnus. <laughs> Magnus was raised on the planet of Prospero, which is, you know, he's... Oh, also, by the way, he's known as the Red Cyclops, the Crimson King, stuff like that. But so... He was raised on a planet that's filled with philosophers, people who research the warp, who do everything in their power to understand and to learn about it, right? Right. And he 
it's he's smart like he's in he's a genius he understands the warp he starts learning how to manipulate it and then when the emperor showed up the emperor told him hey everything you've ever known everything you've ever done yeah you've been doing it wrong do not use your psychic powers never use your psychic powers that big part of you that thing you love more than anything else researching about yeah never research anymore stop doing everything you're doing come join my crusade Fight in melee like the rest of your brothers, you pussy. That's basically what happened. Kind of fucked up. Incredibly so. Yeah, so Magnus, uh, you know, he doesn't stop, actually. He uh, kind of defies his father because he was willing to work with the Imperium. But he defies his father, and he doesn't know why the Emperor is so against psychic powers. And as I said, I'll go... <sighs> I keep saying this, but I'll go more into it later. But he doesn't understand why his father is so against it. So to him, you know, his father is just being, you know, bigoted, an idiot. A dick. Yeah, basically. But at first he tries to obey him. You know, he, he, he stops using it until he discovers that Horus is going to betray the Imperium, right? Or he just, yes. he, he discovers, like, Horus is about to fall to chaos. And so he sends a message to Horus, and he's like, Horus, my brother, do not fall to chaos. And that only uh, makes Horus fall to chaos more, actually. So he tries to prevent it, and he instead pushes it further along. So then he tries to send a message to the Emperor, and he's like, Father, you know, Horus is going to betray you, but he can't get the message through. And so he's visited... By Zinch, one of the four chaos gods. And Zinch, uh, again, Magnus doesn't know, you know, why psychic powers are so bad. He just sees somebody who's trying to help him. And he's basically, he's suspicious, but he's like, okay, I have no other option, right? And so he, he accepts Zinch, his power, and he breaks through the psychic barrier that the Emperor had set up around Terra, which allows demons to pour into Terra. And the Emperor calls for Magnus to be captured. He sends Lehman Russ out to go capture Magnus the Red, right? Right. And so, Magnus the Red, you know, when Lehman arrives on his planet, Magnus was just kind of sat there in his tower. He was waiting to be arrested. But then Lehman started bombarding his planet, killing his men, destroying everything. Because Horus Lupercow, without either Magnus without the Magnus or the Emperor knowing, had came to uh, had came to Lehman Russ and was like, Hey Lehman, orders from father, orders from the Emperor. You're not supposed to capture Magnus anymore. The Emperor wants him dead. And oh. Lehman, instead of, you know, questioning Oh well, why didn't he send the orders directly to me? Or, oh why, why would why does he want my brother dead? You know, boo hoo. He goes, oh fuck yeah. Cause so instead of going, oh what the fuck, it's more like, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, because he hates Magnus the Red. Hates him because he thinks psychic powers are strange and weird and dangerous, and he doesn't understand them. 
<laughs> I just I would like to believe all he does is, hey, can you kill your brother? And most people are going to be all like, oh, what the fuck? That's no, that's my brother. This guy. Hell yeah. <laughs> I was ooh, waiting ooh, for ooh, this ooh, command. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Let's go. Yeah. But so, Dude, yeah, no, I'm pretty like sure Horace didn't even get to finish the sentence where he's like, hey, do you mind kill kill Magnets Red? Yeah. uh, Yeah, that's what father. I don't care what father said. I get to kill him. All right, let's go. Fucking sign me up. <laughs> yeah. He's I'm already on my way. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he goes and starts attacking, you know, the planet. And eventually Magnus is forced to decide either we can be wiped from existence or I can fight back. And he decides to fight back. And we will get more into that in Magnus's video or Actually, leaving. Okay, it might either be Lehman Russ's video, Magnus's video, or the video on the Horus Heresy. Because honestly, it is part of the Horus Heresy, the fight scene that's about to come up, and I really want to, I want to do it justice. So I don't want to give it like a brief overview. So we leaving a lot of things on cliffhangers on this one. Yeah, well, as I said, this is supposed to be a brief overview of the people, not like fair, let's go into fair detail. enough. You know, fair enough. I will say that, but it's like. What <laughs> poor people, poor viewers, whoever watch this, they're gonna be like, "Damn, there's a cliffhanger! Damn, there's a cliffhanger! Damn. There's a cliffhanger!" When's the? <laughs> yeah, when's the, uh, when's the lore, guys? <laughs> this will be the time where we only upload a podcast per month, so they gotta sit there for months at a time to understand where we're going. Yeah, that's even like you know, assuming. And now that's assuming. Yeah, that's it could switch assuming. to weekly, daily, never again. Yeah, this might. Yeah, this might just be the first episode, depending on how how this goes, how we react, how much fun we had doing it. You having a good time? Having a great time. Yeah. Time. <laughs> so let's go ahead and move into the sixteenth Primarch, Horus. Horus is. Right. The Primarch of the Lunar Wolves, which go on to be called the Thousand Su or sorry, I almost said Thousand Sons, which go on to become the Sons of Horus, which then go on to be the Black Legion. And so Horus is Horus is the first Primarch found. And he is for some reason. Remember how I talked to you about Lionel Johnson, even though I went way too brief with the details on him in comparison to literally every other Primark we've covered? But remember how I told yeah. you like he can glance at a battlefield and understand how to win it immediately, pretty much? Yeah. For some reason, the Emperor made Horus the Warmaster. Instead of the guy who can literally see every possible victory, he decided, you know what? Horus. Yeah. Because Horus got, in, got along with most of his brothers. He was kind of like, at that point, he was like, him and Sanguinius were kind of the glue that was holding everyone together, you know? Everyone loved Sanguinius, everyone loved Horus. And, but, so when he became War Master, he, uh, a lot of his brothers got kind of envious. Lionel Johnson thought, you know, he should be the War Master. He was the one who was, you know, perfect military strategy. Horus didn't deserve it. And Horus actually agreed with that. Like, he was straight up like, why would the Emperor pick me and not, you know, Lionel Johnson, who is literally 
the perfect, you know, general. He didn't understand. Which, you mm-hmm. know, it does make sense. But Horus, uh, you know, due to the stress, the anguish, all this, like, frustrating, you know, after so much time and all the pressure, he eventually kind of snaps. And he is stabbed by somebody, and I will go again into detail later, but he is stabbed somebody, and he has a vision of, and he's basically like, the Emperor's a hypocrite, you know? Yeah. The Emperor is a hypocrite. He doesn't deserve my loyalty. And so he rebels, and... He's kind of forced into this thinking, though. It wasn't his real thinking. And so Horus, you know, it, th- there's a reason it's called the Horus Heresy. You know, he's the main four figure, the guy who convinces half of his brothers to, you know, join with him, side with him. And, you know, so eventually. You know, the Horus Heresy happens, and using his powers as a Warmaster, he sends his brother, he scatters his brothers across the Imperium, and goes eventually to attack Terra itself, and gets into a fight with the Emperor, and succeed. he kills Sanguinius, spoilers, but, you know, as I said, I'll cover that more in one of their videos, probably both of their videos, honestly. Uh, but he kills Sanguinius, and he gets into the fight with the Emperor, and at first, the emperor is actually held back by love. He, he like he cannot bring himself to kill his favorite son. You know. Yes. But the thing that actually makes him snap is just as uh, Horus is about to land the death blow on the emperor, about to actually kill the emperor of mankind. Uh, and this, and by the way, this person changes. If you ask an imperial fist or or a blood angel. It was one of their men who jumped in front of him. Um, you know. But it I believe in the original text it was a normal human, a normal everyday guardsman who threw himself in front of the emperor to protect him. No not augmented, not anything special, just a normal normal everyday human. Threw himself in front of the emperor to try and protect him. Horus laughed, and then Cut the man down. And at that moment, the Emperor realized there was nothing left of his son. And killed him. But before he died, the Dark Gods took away their control on Horus. So the moments before Horus died, he had to come to terms with every horrible thing he's done. Killing his brother, causing trillions of deaths. He had to accept that. And it broke him. Wow. Yeah. And the Emperor finished him off and killed him for good. But I will go into much more detail when it comes to his video. Because the Horus Heresy, I cannot do justice in a single video. That would probably be like or two or three episode podcast. To cover all the shit that happens in the Horus Heresy. Probably. Yeah, because I think we're actually on like book forty <laughs> of the Horus Heresy. <laughs> Hold on, let me figure out how many, how many Horus Heresy books are there. Okay, 
56. Yeah, no. let's 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 move on and let's get the rest of these people in. So our so we know what the basics are going into it for. Yeah. So Primark 17, Lorgar. Lorgar or Relian? I hate Lorgar. I hate his chapter. I hate him. I hate his attitude. I hate everything about this guy. I hate him. I I I I think you got a little bit of hatred to this poor person. <laughs> oh no. Everything that happened during the Horus Heresy is Lorgar's fault. Lorgar persuaded Horus to join, uh, to side with Chaos. Lorgar uh, told the Emperor, actually, again, it's actually kind of the Emperor's fault, because Lorgar grew up on an incredibly religious planet, right? Mm -hmm. So religious, in fact, that when his father showed up in all his golden radiance, Lorgar proclaimed him God. Really? Yeah. And the Emperor told him, no, I'm not a god. But Lorgar thought, yes, he is a god. He's just trying to be secret about it. I'm the only one who understands and passed this test. I'm the only one who knows he's really a god. Where in reality, he's not a god. <laughs> he's not. But Lorgar convinces himself that, yes, his father is in fact a god. And, I mean, it makes sense, you know. He controls billions, there's, or not billions, it's said that there's a million planets in the Imperium. But, you know, he controls trillions of men, controls armies greater than anything you can ever imagine. And right. Orgar decides, well, if that's not a god, what is? And so Fair he, enough. he proclaims his father a god. But eventually, Lorgar, Lorgar, when he conquers planets, convinces people that, yes, his father is a god. He makes them start praying to the emperor, sets up great cathedrals and churches, and the emperor discovers this. Oh, no. And burns Lorgar's planet, his home planet, to the ground. And when Lorgar arrives at his planet to find the Ultramarines setting fire to everything, butchering his people, slaughtering everyone, Lorgar goes into a rage. Attacks, uh, you know, he attacks Reboot Gilliman and, and uh, the Sigilite. Uh, why am I forgetting it? Why am I summoning? Malkador, sorry. Malkador is Sigilite. He attacks Malkador with Sigilite. He's there too. Because he thinks right. he thinks the two of them have gone mad, right? Yeah. He thinks the two of them have gone mad. They're attacking my planet. My brothers are killing my people. You know, so obviously he tries to fight back. And just as he's about to, you know, just as he's about to actually almost kill uh, the Sigilite, he summons a projection of the Emperor, and the Emperor's sheer presence makes Lorgar's entire legion forced to kneel in front of him. 
He psychically makes them kneel. He makes Lorgar kneel. And then he reprimands Lorgar in the harshest way possible. And Lorgar tries to defend himself. He's like, Father, I've, I, I figured it out. You are a god. I've passed the test. And the Emperor says, no. You have failed me. Oof. I am no god. And every world that you have preached to that has told me that and you have told that I am a god, I will now have to destroy. That's not good. And this breaks Lorgar. And so I... Lorgar, you know, returns. And we will cover the rest of what happens next time. Moving on to the 18th uh, Primarch, Vulcan of the Salamanders. Are you ready for the hugs? I'm afraid, but yeah, let's go. Vulcan. Vulcan's skin is pitch black coal in color. With flaming, burning red eyes. These guys are scary looking. But they're probably the nicest people. They're probably the nicest of the Space Marines. <laughs> it's just funny <laughs> to me. You know, they, they look the scariest, but they are definitely the nicest. Uh, like, for example, there is a picture where it has the Primarchs, like, on two sides. And you see, like, these beautiful pictures of, like, you know, you'll see uh, Fulgrim and all that. And then you see, you know, you see Vulcan on the other side. And it's like, who do you think is the good guys? And who do you th- once one of these pictures is good, one of these pictures is evil. Who do you think it is? And most people pick, you know, uh, the side with Vulcan because, you know, he looks scary. He looks evil. And they're like, no, Vulcan's actually the nicest person. But Vulcan, basically, he's the Primarch of the Salamanders, and he is by far the biggest of the Primarchs. Not necessarily, and physically, he is the strongest. Absolutely, he is the physically the most powerful specimen, but he is not the strongest. Know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But so, he is also... He cannot die. You can burn him to a crisp, and he will live. You can literally disintegrate him to where there's not even an atom left of him, and he will be back. But he does feel yeah. pain. And we will get into that in Conrad Kurz's video. <laughs> because, oh, oh <laughs> does he hate Vulcan. <laughs> oh, no. But so, Vulcan, you know, goes through and he is, he, he was born on a planet of blacksmiths that were kind of like enslaved by Dark Eldar. I think it's Dark Eldar. It might be normal Eldar. One of the two. You know, but so Vulcan uh, is this big, burly guy, big, you know, kind of scary guy, but very much so, you know, believes in family, believes in protecting people. He's nice, you know. But one of the things that makes Vulcan so cool is that when the pride, when, um, when the emperor showed up on his planet, he asked Vulcan to come with him. And Vulcan refused to abandon this planet, to abandon his family, right? Right. 
And the emperor said, okay, I will challenge you to a duel. Not a duel of contest of arms, not a duel of, you know, anything else. Both of us will hunt down a salamander, one of basically, like, large, like, well, you know, salamanders from, like, legends, right? Breeze, fire, big lizard-looking guys, right? That your planet is famous for. Both of us will go hunt them down, and whoever catches the biggest one wins. And so Vulcan goes out and finds the biggest salamander he has ever seen before, hunts it down, and is dragging it behind him. When the ground crumbles underneath him, and he is dropped almost into a volcano, he grabs a ledge and is holding his salamander in one hand. But he, the salamander is too heavy to where he can't pull himself up with one hand. And so in that moment, he has to decide, you know, do I drop my salamander and lose the competition? Or do I yeah. just hang on here? And Vulcan, and before Vulcan can decide, the Emperor shows up on his shoulder carrying an even bigger salamander with one hand. Sees Vulcan about to die to fire, looks back at his salamander, throws his salamander into the lava, and then picks Vulcan up and drags him out. And Vulcan in that moment decided, this is a man worth following. And so he did. He followed him. He became one of his sons. He agreed. And one of the cool things is uh, the salamanders actually have the, and as far as I'm aware, they're the only unique chapter that does this. Uh, you know, when an Astarte is picked, they are never allowed to visit their family again. Once you are picked, and once you join the Astartes, you never see your family again. You never see your friends again. Your entire life before you become an Astartes does not matter anymore. Why? Because you're not allowed to have attachments. You okay. have to be the perfect warrior at all times. That's... I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> kind of sad, isn't it? Yeah, very much sad. Vulcan encouraged his sons, and to this day, they still do, to spend whatever time they had left, because, by the way, uh, uh, space marines can live a couple hundred years. Right. So he encouraged them to ha spend whatever time they had left, either before they died or their family died, any time that they had downtime, you know, where they weren't needed, he encouraged them to go visit their families. Reasonable. Yeah, because he, he, in his mind, if you still knew you had something worth fighting for to protect, you would fight all the harder. Yeah. And not only that, to this day, there's still traditions where, um, like, they have, like, priests, basically, in the Salamanders who go to planets where they recruit from. And will walk, and when a new baby is born, they do it. Uh, obviously, you know, they can't do it for every single baby, right? Because an entire planet, and there's a couple hundred planets. But, you know, they will randomly show up to these planets, and they will come to where the baby is being born. And they will enact a ritual where they look in their eyes, and this is considered to be the highest honor. Like, they laugh, they drink with the family, they protect them, you know, they do all these things. And instead of showing up in full armor, they show up in rows, which is, you know, like humble of them. And by the way, Astartes are considered are considered angels in the Imperium. So basically, think about this way: think uh, if you suddenly had a son, right? 
and the literal a literal angel from God came down to your planet just to see your son. How would you feel? I would be overwhelmed. I wouldn't know how to really, you know, react. And that's how they feel. That's all. By all means, that's fair enough. Yeah. So the reason Vulcan is Vulcan is probably my favorite loyalist Primarch. Conrad Kurz is probably he is definitely tied with Rolgordorn. Conrad Kurz is absolutely my favorite traitor, but uh, Vulcan is probably one of my favorite loyalists, and he is absolutely awesome. But again, we'll go into more detail later. So he is number 18. We are now on to our last two Primarchs. You ready, Klein? Sorry, I am ready, ready. Okay, number 19, we have Corvus Corax of the Raven Guard. He is known as the Liberator, the, 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 deliver, the Deliverer, God, I can't say that for some reason, the Raven Lord, chose, Chooser of the Slain, and the Shadow Lord. Think if Edgar Allan Poe was like 10 feet tall and could tear you in half and could also turn invisible. And you kind of got Corvus Corax. Not gonna lie. Uh, Corvus Corax is strange. Uh, he's basically he's in an almost constant state of depression. He's incredibly sad. He is Legion is also kind of like melancholic, melancholic. You know they, and he, I don't know. He did something to his Legion that made him so depressed that he literally locked himself away for days, and then left, refused to ever see his Legion again because he considered himself to be unredeemable. And the Raven Guard are kind of like stealth Astartes, which sounds weird, but they are. Uh, you know, they're still these eight foot tall absolute monsters in combat, but they're considered to be thin for their like for a space marine. They're not nearly as bulky. They're on the smaller side. They're thin, and they very much so. They strike from stealth. And the thing is, if they could team up with the White Scars, they'd be almost unbeatable. You know, a hit-and-run group, that special, a group that specializes in hit-and-run, and then another group that specializes on sneaking in anywhere at any time in any place. But they hate, they hate each other. <laughs> like, a lot. <laughs> and not even... I think, actually, like, Jagatai Khan and Corvus Corex actually kind of got along. I could be wrong on that. I, I probably am wrong. But the two chapters hate each other. And anyway... Uh, that's enough on them. Let's move on to the 20th Legion, the final le Legion, the Alpha Legion. May God have mercy on your editing tonight. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep, 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 yep. I'm not even going to put that much effort into this. I'll put more effort the if we get a positive response. I just know you got to go in there and edit some parts out because I know we've been like long being quiet. Yeah, long silences and crap. Yeah. But Alpharius Omegon 
It's one Primarch, or is it two, or is it neither? Or are they just a normal Space Marine? We don't know, I'm guessing. No, the the twin Primarchs uh, looked exactly the same. Alpharius, one of them, and Omegon, the other. Alpharius was the public face of the Primarchs, I think. Or it could have been Omegon. Uh, sorry, that part I actually am not clear on. I'm not sure if Omegon was like the public face or Alpharius was. And the other was basically the body double, you know? Yeah. And let me just read this quote to you real quick. You ready? Before we go, let me say this. I understand the conflicts in your heart. How one may beat for duty while the other bleeds for your legion, brothers, who will be sacrificed. But this is civil war. It is a time of confusion. And realigned loyalty. We have many heads, but we act as one, one legion with a single will. We are a union, and alike, and the alike, and the like-minded. Sorry, we are a union of the alike and the like-minded. We will not tolerate treachery. We will not allow our compact to fracture. We will not suffer the short-sightedness of our brother legions, nor the averted gazes of the wider Empyrean. We are the Alpha Legion. And we take the long view. Alpharius and Omegon is known as the Hydra. The Aleph Null, the threefold servant, serpent, the final configuration, the last primarch. And they were considered to be two souls within, or sorry, one soul within two bodies. Some, there are some even claims that there might have been a third Primarch, that they were triplets, thus the three-headed three serpent, you know? Yeah. But it is believed that they are dead. It, uh, Rogel Dorn believes he killed one of them. But the thing is, the Alpha Legion, most Primarchs are, like, heads and shoulders taller than even their sons, which are, like, eight feet tall, you know? Right. But the Alpha Legion twins were pretty much the same exact size as a normal Space Marine. And what they specialize in, more than anything else, is deceptive warfare. So what does that mean? It or... means they might not be dead. <laughs> so they could just be pulling a prank on them, yeah. and they just don't know it. Oh my goodness. Yeah, you have absolutely no idea. <laughs> you don't know I, if they're I would dead. honestly be... <laughs> I would honestly be so pissed if if I'm like, I killed you. I know I killed you. Psych, I'm alive. What the fuck? I thought I killed you. Yeah. But they... Okay, not even their planet is known. They No one knows where they came from. So, oh, they don't, they don't know? Yeah. Uh, oh. For example, they spread out... Uh, one message they spread out to the Imperium was that the Alpha Legion had always been on Terra. And that they had always been training with the Emperor and helping them, right? Yeah. And then another member of the Alpha Legion spread out the message that actually, Alpharus and Omegon were the head of a galactic empire that was a thorn in the Imperium side, and that when they met their father, they surrendered the empire over. Another said they were found on a random planet together at an early age, and were actually found before Horus. Another said they were found last. 
they purposely created, you know, origin stories for themselves. <laughs> so that no one knows who they are, where they came from, or why they came to exist. As far as they know, they're just there. Yeah. And Wow. Oh, yeah. Misdirection is their absolute tool. And with that, I think we're about ready to draw this to a close. The only, uh, like, more ending notes I have is that, you know, the Imperium, Man, um, the Imperium of Man is still alive today. The Emperor is now entombed on the Golden Throne. And the Emperor will have his own video. And all that as well. Uh, how about you, gentlemen? You have any questions? Comments, concerns? Uh, no, not really. I just no. <laughs> I just know that it's gonna be a tough, tough night on you. If you edit tonight, you could edit tomorrow. Well, I'm doing it tonight. And all that. I'm hoping to get this up by tonight. Uh, I wish you the best of luck. Then. All right. Um. Other than that, for this podcast, uh, for the for the one or two viewers that we get, because we may never know what we may actually get, uh, drop how you feel about this. Tell Jerry that. <laughs> tell him if he's right or wrong. Yeah, if any of the information I presented was you know inaccurate, go ahead and let me know. You know, I do have the books. I do read the books. I also read the wiki articles and I, you know, I watch lore videos, but that doesn't necessarily mean all the information I have is accurate. You know, if I could remember everything about Warhammer, I would already be the guru, but I cannot. So therefore I will not claim that I do. True. And I would like to also say is I have nothing or know anything about Warhammer, the 40 K I have, I have no clue of anything. So if I say someone's name wrong, or I'm going off of the guy with the metal hands, do give me some slack there, because this is the first time I'm really listening and hearing this. Yeah. Um, yeah. I will try to have this posted by tonight. If not, it will be up tomorrow. And depending on how well this does, I will go ahead and look at it. I don't know. I'll check back. Next Tuesday, I guess. And depending on how well this does, do you want to like sit down Wednesday again and try and knock out another one? That one will definitely be shorter than this one because it'll be covering a single topic instead of, you know, uh, 22 topics. Everything, yeah. Yeah, like, we will try to... If this gets positive, we will... Or positively reviews, we will definitely try to sit down and make a day, rather Wednesday, Friday, Monday, whatever day of the week it is, we'll try to sit down and have it as a weekly podcast. And then if it doesn't turn out as positive, we can always do it like a monthly kind of thing. Yeah. And just so all the viewers who are listening to this or will listen to this, I guess I should say, um, this isn't just going to be strictly for decay. We'll do some fantasy lore because I do like fantasy. Uh, the only topic I will not be covering is Age of Sigmar. Uh, I know it gets a lot of crap. A lot of it deserves. To be honest with you, I do not like Age of Sigmar, and I don't know anything about it. If you guys do like it, you know, that's fair. We all have our own opinions. We all have our own objectives. 
but maybe we'll not be covering it on this channel. Eh. You may never know. We might say that the next thing we know, we can have like a bunch of people saying, do, do the Age of Sigmar, and then next thing we know, we're doing research on Age of Sigmar. Yeah, well, I'll be doing the research. You just have to... Wait, why do I edit the video? I... <laughs> I know everything. I have to teach you. Why am I editing the video? What are you doing, Jacob? I don't... I am here to be that 1% of the group to just have no clue what they're walking in through. So then I could be sitting there beside him like, welcome, this is what I had to deal with. This is what I dealt with. <laughs> Plus, didn't she take like classes to do video film? I mean, I'd like it. <laughs> but you know it is better than having someone to know it out of the you two of us. Than to no one in the class as well, and I was going to be your senpai. <laughs> Despite you being older but... than me. <laughs> for, for, well, I feel like we could really turn, if we really put a lot of effort into this podcast and we get very positive reviews, I feel like we could honestly just sit down for a couple hours and just talk everything that has happened with us and it was just it'll just make its own podcast right then and there oh yeah also for future references as it stands right now this would strictly be warhammer um again depending on the positivity we might try branching out a little bit more and we might start do- covering you know animes we saw for that summer or that spring or that fall or whatever um you know manga we currently like we might cover a single topic I do kind of want to do a podcast on Goblin Slayer if I, you know, if I wasn't like 99% sure that someone would immediately be like, death to you. How dare you bring that up to me? Because I like Goblin I feel Slayer. Like, I feel like if we do um, Goblin Slayer, I would definitely do a lot of research into that because I personally enjoyed Goblin Slayer as an anime manga. Dude, I own most of the manga if you ever want to come over. Oh god, don't tempt me. I say but most anyway, I own two books. <laughs> <laughs> own, you don't even own two books, you own half a book. No, like, no, no, I, I own book nine and book eight. I don't even own the first seven books. I just own book nine and eight. What? You're like that one person that clicks on the bleach episode four hundred and twenty. Ah, good enough. <laughs> well the thing is like you know, because I read the manga online, so why, why are we talking about this in the podcast? No, no, I'm going to finish this thought and then ah. we're going to end this. Because, like, yeah, I read gonna... the manga online. And so, you know, like, if I already know what the first dozen chapters are, why would I buy the first book? Fair enough. Anyway, for the viewers out there, I hope you have a great night, great day, whatever time you watch this, because we can't predict the future, unlike some of the Warhammer characters. Oh, yeah. Uh, There's actually quite a few, like, uh, you know, predicting the future characters. But continue on. Yeah. Uh, if you enjoyed it, and if you heard of any of the stories that Jerry has kind of cut off, saying that we'll get to it. If you want to hear that first, leave a comment, leave a review, whatever. Asking, hey, do this first, and we'll do it, or we'll go over it a little bit better into more details on the next podcast. Other than that, I have nothing else to say. Yeah. Well then, um, yeah, I guess that's the end of this. Take us home, gentlemen. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Bye.